for Sober Chick podcast listeners, this is Heather, and I'm joined by Dana, Lisa, and Meredith. We gather here from around the world to discuss all things related to alcohol addiction, sobriety, and various paths to recovery. We get real about the highs, the lows, and the amazing reality of living a sober life. This podcast is a creative collaboration by women, for women, and for anyone who supports women. Welcome to uh, Force Over Chicks. Today I'm joined by Dana, Meredith, and Lisa. As always, I'm Heather, and we're going to talk about drinking in a continuum. What does that look like for you? I've been having these amazing conversations as our episodes are hitting the air and different people are coming and talking to me about um, their reaction to what we're, we're sharing. I have a lot of people that are talking to me about how alcohol plays a role in their lives. And obviously it's varied. And so I think that this is kind of a great conversation to have because when I first started to really have a problem with alcohol, the way that I looked at when you needed help was if you were at rock bottom, if you were losing a job, had a DUI, blowing up relationships, um, you know, hiding handles of vodka, like, you know, what was the movie with, um, Meg Ryan. Oh, that was um, heartbreaking. Um, yeah. I know what you're You know, and she's hiding ba- bottles around the house and stuff like that, which does, is, does happen. Yeah. And I thought that was the only time that you went and got help, you know, and this is, I, you know, this is kind of how I, I allowed myself to stay away from getting help and just kind of, it was my way of my time of form of denial. So I'd love to talk about like, you know, kind of what that spectrum looks like. And really I talk about this idea of you can get help at any point on the spectrum because it eventually does lead to that point if it is not managed, if it is not, there's no intervention. So how about um, if, Dana, why don't you start us off today and um, kind of what, what was your continuum and, and how did, how do you, what do you think about this idea? Um, well, first off, the movie is When a Man Loves a Woman uh, with Meg Ryan and Andy Garcia. <laughs> I had to look it up. Sorry if you saw me looking down. I couldn't help <laughs> myself. I, it's one of those things. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, in our conversations, like you were saying, the rock bottom, it's, it's different for everybody. Being on that line is, is completely different for, for a lot of people. Um, you know, mine, I I was drinking three to four beers a day, which doesn't sound like a lot when you're talking about beer and alcohol and those types of things. But my beer was like nine and a half percent alcohol. Um, so I was drinking a lot and I was drinking a lot on purpose to black out, to not remember, to get numb. Um, so, you know, that was, that was harsh. And I know a lot of other people that aren't anywhere near drinking that much, but I also know people that are 
also a lot worse than me. Um, and it's, it's interesting that you were saying, you know, people, you know, with the DUIs and the relationships of blowing up and, and all of these things, I didn't have that. Thank God. Um, I truly am blessed that I didn't have any of those horrible things happen to me. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, I, it's a weird thing to say, but sometimes I almost wonder, like, am I a allowed to feel these feelings? Cause I didn't have any of those really bad things happen to me. Was I really that bad off? Was I really, you know, that into the alcohol and the alcoholism that was taking over my life because it wasn't as bad as somebody else's. Um, and I think that's where some people get stuck, right? Is, yes. is, well, if I'm only having two glasses of wine, well, that's fine. You know, I'm not as bad as Dana was. Dana was drinking a case of beer a week, you know? And um, so that's where I kind of think about things and, and where people are on the scale, um, you know, to that extent, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of people, they, they just as Heather, you were saying, you're getting a lot of those questions like, well, I, or, or people saying, well, I drink this much. So they're, they're looking at you for sort of a barometer, like a gauge, like yeah. tell me if I'm there or not. And it's, you have to be so careful because you don't want to like, um, you don't want them to compare and say, oh, well, I'm not that bad, therefore I don't need to do anything about it. It has nothing to do with the number. Honestly, it has nothing to do with the number of drinks you're having a week, a night, a month. Yeah. Um, it has to do with how you feel about it. So you have to, when people share with me how much they drink, I am so careful not to react like, oh, like, like give them a look like, oh, that's not that's nothing you know <laughs> it's like and sometimes they'll ask me specifically well lisa how much were you drinking a week i'll let them know um but i'll be honest i wasn't when i realized that i had a bad relationship with alcohol it was way before i was drinking the amount i was drinking near the end you know and could i have taken an early exit then totally could have would have saved a whole lot of um not heartache, but in my case, but you know, it would have saved a lot. And um, it's, yeah, that, that whole concept of an, an early exit. Some people don't like that. Um, they don't like that, those words like early exit, because it just makes it sound like you, you know, you didn't really have a big problem or whatever, but you, you, you still have, it just depends on how you feel about it, right? It depends on how you feel. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and then you get, you get the opposite of like, I was out to lunch with my mom last week and she was afraid to have a glass of wine in front of me, <gasps> you know, cause she didn't want me to judge her. And I'm like, yo, no, not judging here. You know, you do you. <laughs> and, and I, I welcome people coming and talking to me about, you know, what they're thinking when they're drinking and what the, cause it, it seems to, at least get them thinking about it, you know, and, and questioning some, some of the things that they're doing. And, um, that's what it's for. Right. And we're not here to change anybody because we all know that you can only change yourself. So, you know, when people start, well, and it's a good thing. I think, I think for, for me and this may <clears throat> relate to a lot of people, I think everyone's 
my perception of what being an alcoholic looked like was what I had witnessed. Now, whether that was through my mother, whether that was through Hollywood, we get this image in our brains on what addiction looks like, what an alcoholic looks like. And it's usually not a very good functioning alcoholic, or it is a phenomenal functioning alcoholic. And it's, those visions of what that looks like is at the bottom of the barrel. It is when they are at their lowest, but that's always what we've been exposed to, whether you've been exposed to it personally through a relative or literally movies in Hollywood, that that's what you see. You see the hiding in the bottles, you see all this stuff. So I think people feel like they have to get to that point to be like, maybe I have a problem, but I, I also think that um, as I've said before, I think you can tell in your heart if you know that it does not make you feel good. If you're having that, in my mind, that is number one of you should start really not questioning, but really looking into your relationship with alcohol. When do you drink the most? How do you drink? where do you drink commonly? You know, like there's so many other things that come into it. And like I've said before, our brains are smarter than we will ever one give credit to and ever know, but it has so many different mechanisms to where like, even in sober people. So, uh, and I experienced this. So if I see someone out to dinner, drinking, the wine that I would normally drink, I literally start salivating. Like I can tell, but it's in those areas where you're really going to start to realize that it has a unconscious control over you as well. So I I genuinely think if you have ever questioned, Mm -hmm. do I drink too much? Or you get that gut feeling that maybe this isn't the best, I would roll with that. Don't just shove it away being like, but I'm not like this person or I'm not like what I've seen on intervention where it's, you know, someone who's literally dying because they have abuse. And to add to that, so. Sorry, to add to what you're saying, Meredith, is, and Dana, you mentioned this and this is a um, feeling that you haven't earned your spot. Yes. 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 In this kind of continuum. And you, you know, depending on where you're kind of looking at things, and if you go into like, um, you know, 12 step, I've seen people like cut other people down for not, you know, using enough or not. I was in, um, in rehab and I had a woman like belittle my experience. I was like, I'm literally in rehab. Like I, I, I'm not, this isn't vacation. Like, and this, and that's more about her than it, it had nothing to do with me. It was about her. And I think that like, they, we have this term high bottom, you know, that kind of describes people that haven't destroyed their whole lives. Like this kind of hierarchy. If you're in a community where you're seeking help and someone makes you feel like your problem is not significant enough, you need to find a different place yeah. to get help because mm-hmm. 
that is that that system, whatever it is, that group is not working for you because no one should make you feel like you have anything to prove or that you have to, you know, validate your use. If you feel like it is not right, like Meredith said, it's something in your heart, you, you're questioning, you're having these thoughts with your, you know, or, you know, you're talking to other people about it, then that's, you have to define that. Like, mm -hmm. um, there's no one there that like, there's no, it happens though. No it does happen. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. no checklist. So there's, there's a spectrum, there is a continuum, but in the end, it's you who has to decide whether or not this is something that you want to change. It's like therapy, you know, mm -hmm. you would never say to somebody, you don't need to go see a therapist, right? You don't have enough trauma in your life to go to therapy. You're like, no one would say that to another person because well, you yes, got in do. their brain. People have said it to me. People have really? said, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and wow. I, you know, not to getting back onto the other subject. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other episode. Um, but now in how long have each of you questioned your drinking before you actually stopped? And how many times mm -hmm. did you actually stop and then yeah. pick up again? Because you're like, my life isn't that bad. This didn't, nope. this, this isn't traumatizing me this bad. This isn't, you know, I'm nowhere near that person under the bridge with a bag, you know, right. drinking out yeah. of the bag. So it, it's yeah. true. You, you, it can take a while to get there, but you know, hopefully this, these, this, so this podcast and our stories and, you know, the things that we talk about can maybe help somebody along the way a little bit quicker than those of us who, who struggled for years questioning our, our Absolutely. It took me probably, you know, I, I've been sober for coming up on two years, but um, I would say the whole journey began eight years ago. Like, that's when I started becoming curious. That's when I picked it. I bought my first book about it and started Googling, you know, how much is too much. Yeah. That stuff. Mm. And, and for those people out there who aren't sure, I mean, get curious, start getting curious, start reading a couple mm -hmm. articles online. You're already here listening to the podcast. That's awesome. You know, and, mm -hmm. and you don't need to make a decision right now. It's like, oh, let's just yeah. let's dive into this a little bit and yeah. see how it's manifesting. Mm -hmm. Well, and what's funny is I never, I never questioned my drinking because again, it was based on what I'd been exposed to. I wasn't doing what my mom was doing. Right. So therefore, like, do you know what I mean? I had put that on that shelf of, well, when I get to that, that's when I have a problem. And I did not question it until, you know, what hit the fan. And so that, when, when that hit the fan, it took literally within the span of 24 hours, everything to not just go downhill, but like crashed at the bottom for me to be like, take that step back being like, okay, I know that if I continue on this path of destruction, I will end up in my mom's spot, like hands down. I will be a single mom. I will be drinking day in and day out from the minute I wake up until the minute I go to bed. My kids probably won't want a relationship with me. Like I, I had to get to that point, but I had always, always put that version of what I thought an alcoholic who needed to stop drinking looked like. Mm -hmm. And so 
for me, I, I think it's, I think it's really important that yes. I mean, I wish I could have been sober curious because who knows? I mean, I could have chosen that path early on and I probably should have knowing with where my mom's addiction went, you know, but again, I justified that I wasn't in her shoes and it was totally different. I even justified the fact that she, her drink was vodka and mine was wine. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, totally different. Oh. Wine is such a socially acceptable drink. Yeah. If you have a wine glass, you're classy. Like I had all the excuses in the world when it came to that. But I also know that when it was hard for me to get where I wanted to feel off of two bottles of wine and maybe two and a half, I was like, do I go to a third or do I do something stronger like vodka? That was literally where my mind was starting to go. And so that it, but it had to come crashing down because I'm a very stubborn person. Like if I believe in something and do something, there's not a lot people can do to sway me, but I have to come to that realization on my own and thank God that it happened the way that it did. Yeah. For me, it started 31 years ago. So I got sober when I was 15 the first time because I had my relationship with alcohol started at, you know, 15. Um, and it was, I knew it was a problem from the beginning. I knew I didn't drink like other people. I didn't, I drank it to get completely annihilated. And I did really, doing, your friends weren't doing that or. Oh, like, of course they did. I hung out with the people that condoned the behavior, right? Like I found the group. Um, and then my mom died and I knew that my mom's death was directly related to drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. but I knew that that was, so I knew that it was, and, and I stopped drinking and I stopped drinking for two and a half years. But just like they say, for those of us who are problem drinkers or have alcoholism or are addicts, I consider myself, you know, an addict. Um, I picked up and I went right exactly to where I was the day that I had stopped, you know, at, at 16, I guess, is when I probably put the bottle down. And then it was like, you know, into my almost 19 when I drank again. And it was exactly 18, 19. Yeah, exactly the same place I picked up. So I knew then, like, can you imagine? And in college, uh, I have a really good friend who we have known each other since we were 19. And she, I've never drank with her. She has been sober the enti- our entire friendship. She just celebrated 30 years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went to AA meetings with her, like, you know, she was there. Um, I had this great role model, but it didn't matter. It was, you know, it was, I wasn't ready. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think even if you're watching this and or listening and, and you're not sure if you're ready either, that's fine. You know, you, you could just listen and hear all the different stories and, and just get curious about it. But I think I think you're right. I think I had that kind of moment, too, where where um, all of a sudden something 
a light bulb went off and I was like, okay, now I'm going to do this. And I jumped in with both feet and, um, but it took a lot of stopping and starting four or five years ago, I guess I stopped for a whole year, which was actually surprisingly quite easy to do. Cause I basically just said for one year, there was like mm-hmm. no commitment. I'm just not going to drink, but I didn't delve into it really. I didn't get to the root of the problem. I was just like, yeah, it's like a fun little experiment. I wasn't ready then, definitely wasn't ready. And then the first Christmas party I went to, it was right back, right back at it once that year was over. Um, But yeah, I I don't regret it though, giving that year a shot because I did learn quite a few things um, just by doing that little experiment. And I even, space is great too, right? Mm-hmm. And I think those little experiments are huge. Uh, I mean, I know people who did like the dry January and they were like, holy crap, yeah. the, um, how different I feel. And I was like, just make a mental note of that. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be there being like, you should stop drinking then. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's really important to figure out yeah. if alcohol and the lack thereof genuinely makes you feel better. If that's the case, there may be too much in your system and and that's okay. And maybe, you know, I, every year for my, um, my sobriety date, I do like my top 10 things and I try to, you know, revamp them every year. And this year I have totally realized that even eight years later, I am not interested in moderation. There are people who can moderate. I don't want someone to think that they have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. They quit drinking, but they can't moderate either. Like there are people who totally can literally a drink a month or, you know, once a week you have one drink, whatever the case may be, if you can moderate that. Okay. That's totally fine. For me, I know there is no way in hell that I would be able to moderate drinking. And that from day one, people are like, well, why don't you just drink in moderation? I go, that does not exist in my world period. But that also comes from all the underlying stuff to deal with and figure out. Cause that's why I drank. That's why moderation wasn't going to work for me. Um, so I, I think it's key to also know, yes, if you have an unhealthy relationship, that does not mean that you have to quit drinking for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. We just happen to be four women who realized that alcohol not in our lives was the best way to go. Yep. I tried moderation. It did not work. It doesn't work. It certainly doesn't work. But for some people, it does. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And again, that version of moderation is personal. That is a personal choice. That doesn't look like any one thing to moderate. But I, I do think you yourself would know what moderation looks like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And for me, it was very much an escape tool. It was, it was exactly. a numbing tool, you know, like mm-hmm. um, I do think in some situations people have um, maybe don't have as much trauma or whatever. And so that out their alcohol journey is different. Maybe they feel socially awkward. Maybe it kind mm-hmm. of makes them feel more outgoing mm-hmm. and that kind of can get out of hand. For me, I had, until I dealt with the trauma and like dealt with my, my, all of that stuff that was leading to me drinking, 
I was always going to have the same relationship. I was always going to overdo whatever it is because I still have the same experience with food or other things like that, like, you know, and work. And, you know, people can just transfer addictions if you don't deal with the root cause. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you do deal with the root cause, maybe there is options for it. But unless you try, you know, that's kind of, I, I gave it a real college try. I tried moderation. I tried elimination. I tried these different things. It didn't work. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I mean when I say, uh, unless you can figure out how to deal with that root problem of why you have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, that moderation will not work if you're there, in, in my opinion. Now, if you are just someone who doesn't, I mean, I've got a great friend. She honestly doesn't like the way alcohol makes her feel. So she chooses to moderate in her way, you know? And so I think that totally different, you know, she's not drinking to numb something. She's not drinking to forget something. She's not drinking for past happenings or whatever the case may be. She genuinely does not like her reality being altered. And she's always been that way, you know, but she can moderate. It's, it's interesting uh, yeah. you say that. Cause I, I was like that. I was, I was, I needed to be in control complete control of life. And I just, I never drank. I'd started drinking when I was 40. Um, you know, I had the, the experience when I was 15, of course, and, and I swore off of it since then. But, um, at 40, I I don't know what, you know, I know what transpired to make me fall into the, the arms of, of alcohol, but it's just funny that you said that, Meredith, because it's like, I was always like that. I was always like, okay, I need to control everything. And, and alcohol, uh, it takes that away. And I, I can't do that. I can't have that in my life. Um, and to have it totally flip on me and do a 180 is, is interesting. And I'm still, you know, processing how that all happened, <laughs> which I probably will for the next several years of my life. But um interesting that you should say that because now I'm, I'm learning how to take control back, right? Because I, I lost so much control and it was to the point where, you know, the last couple of years of my drinking, I, it was, I don't want control. I don't want control of anything. And if something happens, so be it. I don't care. I got to that level of not caring about myself or anything else in my life. So to get that total control back is very, it's going to take a long time. I'm, I'm near where you are, Lisa. I'm, I'm 18 months into my sub, my sobriety and, um, it's taken a long time to want that control back. So it was, it's been an interesting process. Sorry, didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but that just it's all relevant. It's all connected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think that like, this is why our foursome is kind of so unique is because we've all had very different experiences. Um, and we've kind of all come to a similar, we all have this common bond. Um, but this is, this is, I think the reality out there in the world, there's no one size fits all. There's no one size of addiction or, you know, where you fall on that. There's no one size alcoholic. Like it's really about, and let's get rid of the terms. It's really about what is your relationship with alcohol and is it a healthy one? Um, 
And you are the only person that can define that, yep. really. Yep. I mean, there's people out there that are like, and I'm, you know, <laughs> it's poison. It is ethanol alcohol. It is literally poison. We are poisoning our bodies. We are damaging our brains. We are doing all of these things. Um, but we've turned it into this completely socially acceptable situation where we don't look at that. We don't talk about that, you know, much like smoking. Yeah, for sure. Well, but the fact that it's so unregulated makes it easy to talk about, makes it easy to be accepted, makes it easy to be social. And that's along with nicotine too, you know, um, it is so socially accepted and it's, I mean, it's funny. It's to the point where one of my friends here locally who's sober, she, um, literally was like, yeah, people aren't asking me because she would get the question all the time. Well, okay. So you're not drinking right now. When are you going to drink? Like when are, when are you going to drink again? And she's like, that's like them saying, when are you going to do heroin again? Like it's, it's an addictive substance at the end of the day that has a horrible track record, you know, I mean, and still with deaths per year, whether that's from alcohol, driving drunk, you know, the whole spectrum, it's amazing how welcome alcohol is. I mean, you can turn on the TV and in two seconds, see what looks like a 15 year old partying with alcohol on the beach. You know, I mean, so with it being so widely accepted, it's not something that people think about when they take a drink being like, I could become an alcoholic off this first step. Like no one ever thinks that now. I mean, I'm assuming that if someone tries heroin or something like that, that could potentially be going through their mind. Maybe not, but it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I think there's just so much pain out there, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and we're just maybe not as in tuned with the level of pain we're in or, you know, in tune with we're in our minds are amazing at protecting us from reality. You know, denial is a thing and it's, it's a mechanism and it's a, and it's a coping skill. And, you know, you add something like alcohol and it just, just takes that edge off and it just chills you out and it relieves pain. And there's so many people out there that are in pain that it's just, it's just literally like throwing alcohol on fire. Well, and it's, it's easier to, um, I actually shouldn't say that it's, it's a legal substance to go get and alter your brain chemistry to make you function versus being like, maybe I should go find a dealer on the corner who I can, I mean, I feel like that's honestly probably the gateway to a lot of other things. You know, if you, and, and that was the case for my mom. Um, I do feel like alcohol, if abused, can be a gateway towards narcotics, can be a mm-hmm. gateway towards drugs, you know, any shape and form. Because um, you're constantly, once you get that feeling, you're constantly chasing that. And you're constantly, it's harder because again, your brain wants you to stay in homeostasis. So it's going to start preventing all of that by the time 
that is when the potential handles of vodka, you know, are okay. under your bed or, or things like that. And this is the, opo- the opioid crisis that we have in our country. Exactly. People taking things for legitimate pain and being mm-hmm. overprescribed and now it creates another effect for you. And that has led to so many people, you know, really, I mean, it's, we talk about alcoholism, but there's a lot of things out there that are really, you know, devastating in terms of addiction. And it's the same kind of thing. Those pills, you think that, oh, it's a pain pill. It was prescribed to me. I'm supposed to take it, you know, like, oh, it's just one drink. It's, it just, you know, wine with dinner. It's just this, it's just that. And then, you know, that slope is very slippery. I have a question. Do you guys ever get the question? Cause I do. Um, they're like, okay, you know, you've been sober. That's super awesome. Will you take prescription drugs? Um, like for example, when I had knee surgery, you know, I would get the question a lot. They're like, well, you're sober. How does that bleed into that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm easy because my stomach cannot hack like at all. Um, I think I had hydrocodone. I took one and I was puking for two hours. So I was like, yeah, this isn't going to work. But I do know that there are a lot of people who, um, maybe they don't drink anymore, but marijuana, you know, has become, maybe not, not so much a replacement, but a way to kind of get out of that. Um, I get those questions all the time. I find that I, 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 I'm just extremely careful. Like I had to take something. I can't remember what, what it was. I was having a CAT scan and I was super anxious and they gave me something to calm me down, but they gave me a few of the pills and I just needed one just to do the CAT scan. But I got rid of them right after just because I was like, no, I'll, but so it it all, again, comes down to how I feel about it. You know, if I feel like this is going to be dangerous for me, a slippery slope, um, then I, like I know now that's not the direction I want to go in. So um, yeah, I I haven't gotten that question yet, but um, I just, I'm extremely, extremely careful. And I really, I try and remind myself, even with, sometimes I, I don't take, Advil all that much, but every now and then, if I have a killer headache, I will. Um, and I will with my children too, give them painkillers when needed. Um, but you know, just as with all substances like this, just treating it like the powerful drug that it is and how we need to be extremely, extremely careful with it and just not going to it all the time. You know, some people have, you know, what I have been getting lately is on that point about marijuana. I feel like people are coming to me a lot more lately going, hey, Lisa, have you tried CBD? You know, have you tried this? What about gummies? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what? Like, why? <laughs> like, well, I'm good. I don't need to. I don't want to have something else that, like, I work darn hard to be where I am right now. And I'm, and I'm living clear and I love it. I absolutely love that I don't have to rely on anything to make me have a better time, to um, level out my mood, to help me forget. I can be in those moments and enjoy them for what they are or hate them for what they are, but I know I'll get through. And to then start going back to, okay, yeah, you know, a few times a week I go and I smoke pot or whatever. I, I don't wanna 
that life. Like, I don't want to. So that's kind of how I explain that to some people. They're like, but Lisa, why don't you try this? I'm like, no, thanks. I'm good. I, I have felt like a little bit of peer pressure with, with the pot lately. So. Well, it is legal in Canada. It is legal. It's <laughs> everywhere. There are pot shops. Like I've got five within a two minute walking distance of me right now. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. For me with pills and stuff like that, it's all about um, intention. And so um, like I've had to use nitrous for a couple dental procedures. And that was like, cause I've partied with nitrous in college. So I was like, this is kind of, it was kind of messing with my head. Um, and so, you know, I talked with my sponsor and, you know, first I told my dentist, you know, like I, you know, I'm in recovery. And so like, you need to know that because if I'm hiding that, then maybe that's not the greatest idea. I'm not like regularly going to the dentist to do nitrous. So intention was also a part of it. Um, I've had to have, you know, a, a pain med pain medication here or there. I always have a plan with my husband, you know? Um, so we talk about it because I am one of those polarizing people that the slope is slippery. And I used to take clonopin so that I could fly. So it would chill me out, but I liked that sedation vacation that I would go on. And so like, um, I used it uh, I, with the doctor's permission in rehab a couple times um, because, you know, the anxiety was, was really, really full on. Um, and then I haven't ever used it again. And I got rid of everything that was there because again, it was one of those things that could be kind of slippery. I do take pain relievers. I have migraines. I have migraine medication, but um, it doesn't get you high. It doesn't make you like, it takes away the headache. So like, if it was something that altered me completely, I wouldn't take that medication. Like it, you know, um, but that's my personal thing. And, and, you know, pot does come up. I definitely, we've got that term California sober and so forth. Um, I think it's a personal decision. I know there's a lot of people out there that, that prefer to use marijuana over a pharmaceutical anti-anxiety mm -hmm. medication, you know, mm -hmm. and that's not for me to, to judge, but I agree with what you're saying, Lisa, like you make that decision for yourself. Right. And, um, and I, I feel like the same thing is about prescription, um, medications. I've done a lot of things in my life and alcohol was the one that was going to kill me. Well, and, and maybe you guys will agree, but the minute I knew I was on the other side and officially a full bore recovering person to where I, I, I didn't have triggers. I wasn't temptation. I didn't have temptations. I wasn't like white knuckling, you know, every day. I, like you said, Lisa was very aware yeah. that I did not want to go back. Yes. And so I feel like once you get, yeah. I, I mean, it came to the point where I had, this was two years ago. I had tiramisu at my friend's birthday. I literally put it in my mouth. I was like, Oh my God. I like ran over to the sink. I'm spitting it out. They're like, is it bad? I'm like, is there alcohol in this? And they were like, Oh, oh my God. 
we use it, but it's like the alcohol's baked out and whatever. But I was so, I was like, if I just ruined my sobriety over a piece of freaking tiramisu, I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> But I had a tiramisu incident too. Yeah. <laughs> Early, yeah. I like ate it. You don't even think about it. I'm like, oh right. my God, oh. there's Frangelica in this. And like, I had to like ask, but it's intention. It's you intention. weren't like, I'm going to go right. eat this tiramisu. <laughs> I know. Where's well, this girl? <laughs> I, I know. Well, and but it's funny. The minute it hit my tongue, I could taste it was yeah. just the flavor of alcohol I immediately and I was like <gasps> and everyone's like what's happening and I'm <laughs> over at the sink like spitting I felt so bad anyway I am very conscious because I don't ever want to not feel the way I feel right now yeah and I'll be honest with you but it's not all sunshine and roses like you are having to deal and face with stuff that you would have normally just gone to the store and gotten a couple bottles of wine to help you through you yeah. got to sit with that and you got to feel that so you you do definitely it's hard mm-hmm. for sure but um you get- I am very aware of nothing taking me the opposite way no and you get you get to the <clears throat> point you know when you're still drinking that it doesn't give you that happy go lucky feeling anymore. So you're also, you're, you're, you're numb, but you're also dealing with the feels at the same time. And then you mm-hmm. drink more to try and numb it out. And then it makes it even worse. And yeah, it's a, it's a catch 22 situation, but yeah, I, 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 I hear everybody on this with the awareness. Like I don't ever, ever want to feel that again. And, you know, even in my head, I'm like, well, maybe I could have one when I'm at this convention, but I'm like, no, you're there to speak, you know, about sobriety, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like a fleeting thing. And it's like, what are you thinking? Like, why would you throw everything away just to have that? And you're going to feel it. it's the movie reel, right? The tools that we talked about a few episodes ago, where it's like, you know, you, you just can't do it. And I feel so good being aware. And my life is so different. Like, what's the point of going back? Cause I can deal yep. with those feels much better sober than you can with a foggy head when you're, when you're drinking yep. for sure, you yeah. know, and, and that's what people really need to understand too, is, you know, it gets easier to deal with the feelings and the things that you need to deal with that you've been putting off for too long by drinking yeah. and numbing mm-hmm. it out, you know, and it makes it easier, you know, and, and it's it's almost like man i got myself through that and it's it's like a be proud moment that you know you've you've had the feels and you've been able to make yourself get through a challenging situation totally sober you know yeah that's it that's there's a- this phrase or this idea where in in the program where uh sobriety will ruin your drinking <laughs> and like you know in this concept of you never you really never see anybody who goes out and picks up again, come back and go, oh my God, that was amazing. I had such an amazing time. If they come back most of the time, it's this like just regret and just sadness and just pain because um, all of that stuff comes up with that. You know, it's, it's it's not 
we in our head it's our addiction saying oh you can have one it would be fun it would be fine you know it's gonna it's gonna complement that cheese whatever it is that your addiction says to you but the reality is is that everything that that you were you've worked through comes back you know and like is hanging out with you and it, it just it's not the time that we had when we first started it's not the fun time anymore it's not going to be that Nope. It never well, and it's funny, <clears throat> those fleeting moments that I've had have always been external things. So just like you said, Heather, oh, this would go great with a glass of wine, or you see a bunch of girls out at brunch and they're drinking mimosas or, so it's always external. It's never an internal, I need to have a drink. It's always like, ah, okay. But when I see those opportunities, I'm a huge believer. And I was like, I want to do that. So I'm going to make it work for me. So like my girlfriends do not hesitate to invite me out to brunch while they're all having mimosas. I'm having OJ and seven up or like, you know, OJ and sport. Like I am partaking. I'm, but I don't need it internally. Does that make sense? Yeah. Those, those fleet moments are always the external I want to do it because I'm seeing this or I'm tasting this or whatever. It's never for me, at least an interior from the heart being like, you need, you, you should go get a glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why I think for sobriety and recovery to be successful, we need to replace the things that we used to do with other really fun things. Cause right. It's really about that connection you're having and hanging out with those people and being in that, you know, great restaurant with a great view and, and just having this fun summer day. That's really, it's about the experience. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, well, especially in early recovery, I couldn't be in those places. Mm-hmm. I couldn't 100%. do that, but now I can. And that's kind of, I think the, the message that I'd like to get out there is maybe initially you can't, maybe for the first, mm-hmm. whatever it is you determine. I, it was a good two, two and a half years that I needed to like revamp how I socialize. I needed it to be safe. I needed to like not have alcohol in my house, you know, those different things. Um, but now I can go out and have a really good time. Um, and the only time I get uncomfortable is when I see a fellow problem drinker. I don't have a problem with people drinking. I have a problem with problem drinking. And that makes me extremely uncomfortable. You know, um, and so those are the moments now that I kind of like, mm, I, I need to peace out or I need to be, I need to leave if this is what's happening around me. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, and it's, uh, I 100% agree. You, ha- and again, that time is different for everyone. You know, like two years, four years, a year, yeah. you know, there may be people who are totally fine in social situations. So this last Halloween, Um, we have some really good friends who always have a Halloween party and, um, they were playing, playing flip cup and they needed someone else to play. And I, I grabbed my water. I was like, let's go. And so I actually partook in a drinking game and drank water the entire time, but it was so much fun, you know? So you, you can still choose to have those fun moments. And just like we were talking before, when you become sober, yes, there are people who are going to be like, ah, they're not fun anymore. Whatever the case may be, do not let that hinder you get creative. Like for me to step up and do that, everyone was like, okay. Like it kind of took people off because they were, they figured you had to drink 
in order to play this drinking game. Right. But mm-hmm. the fact that I didn't, I mean, it, it worked out great, but I'm also always putting myself out there in those situations because it almost eases other people yeah. and, and their perception of you not drinking. Um, so yeah, I think it's super important that you, you also, as the person in recovery have got, you got to get creative too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think with that, I think we have really summed this topic up. I don't necessarily recommend flip cup in early sobriety. Um, <laughs> no, that's like seven years in guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Oh. And yeah. And because in an early sobriety, you are healing yourself. That is where the energy is going. And then when you get to that place, then you start to build like the, the long-term things. And so, um, and maybe flip cup will be part of yours. I, uh, I, I have great, Didn't know it'd be a part of mine, right? I have great hope for these, these, um, sober bars, you know, and the, in the uh-huh. sober, uh, clubs and things like that so that people can go out and have a good time without having alcohol be a part of it. Um, So, you know, the world's changing a little bit in terms of that. And I think that's kind of incredible. Um, Sorry. All right, ladies. Well, thank you all for a wonderful conversation once again. And uh, we will see you next episode. Thank you. Sounds good. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you and wish you the best on your sober adventures. For more information and details on upcoming episodes, check us out on YouTube or Instagram at 4SoberChicks. That's number 4SoberChicks. We welcome your feedback and look forward to being with you on the next episode.